You are listening to Relations Radio. We will be talking about parental opioid use, some of the challenges and people that frame the issues. I'm Dr. Landon Kuster, and I will be your host. I hope everyone's doing well today. So today on the show, we've got Polly Radcliffe, who's talking to Ellie Gadella, who's a specialist parental substance misuse worker. And they're both joined by Rosie Flexer, who's a peer support group worker with a particular interest in supporting parents who use services in South London. Uh, So I'm going to turn this over to uh, Polly Radcliffe. I'm Polly Redcliffe and I'm a senior researcher at the National Addiction Centre at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience, King's College London. And I'm talking to Ellie Gadella, who works in a London borough uh, with parents who use who use drugs. I've just asked you to tell me a little bit about your your job to start off with, Ellie. Yeah, so I work in uh, work with parents with um, who have or have had difficulties with substances, alcohol, um, drugs. Um, we work with women from pregnancy on to try and support them and um, work with them to address some of those underlying needs. Um, I work with the local drug and alcohol service and very closely with children's social care. And and you have been involved in a group for mums particularly. Is it just mums or or dads as well? Mums and dads is predominantly mums. Mums and dads starting from pregnancy to preschool till they start school. We work with them in a, we run a group uh, therapeutic stay and play with a group program and one-to-ones and a crash. Uh, we go to a children's centre on Thursdays where, where we deliver the, the program and we work with other agencies. We have the specialist substance misuse midwi- midwives, um, the specialist health visitor, domestic violence service, perinatal mental health services, more general mental health services. We call it the orbit because there's a lot of services orbiting the project. Try and create a space specifically for those families to um, access and receive some support. So you've got a kind of social services, substance use treatment service, you're in both organisations, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, my post was created through the Troubled Families programme. So I spend about half the week with children's social care and the other half in the drug and alcohol service. But the remit is really to kind of improve access for parents and increase understanding between the two different services. Because obviously adult service, um, drug and alcohol services are adult services and aren't necessarily built with children and families in mind. And uh, children's social care, social workers have to have, you know, they have such a varied caseload. Um, they're not experts in substance misuse they can't be so we can support them to better understand the challenges the family's facing and um, try and bring the care plans together so the referrals for the orbit come from both social services and treatment services and are they all families where the where they're deemed to be child in need uh, so it can be i mean to be fair i think probably the single biggest referrer is actually the midwife because oh, right. if somebody tests positive during pregnancy, uh, she will refer to us as well as to children's social care or sometimes just to us. And then we make a decision from there. But yeah, and then the rest come from drug and alcohol or drug and alcohol services or from um, children's social care. And the cases can be some of them are open to sort of the non-statutory family units. And, we're, you know, sort of poor parental mental health kind of issues, maybe, and some other factors all the way up to sort of child protection cases or cases where people dependently using substances that are pregnant or 
of the care of very young children. And is it time limited? So the orbit is predominantly aimed at uh, pregnant uh, women who are pregnant and families with preschool aged children. And uh, when we set it up, we wasn't sure how it was going to work. It was only a couple of years ago now. And so we set it up with a view to the families being able to access until the child starts school, if necessary. And uh, we're actually having to have a little look at that because, you know, we, we're getting a lot of referrals. It's been a success, the service, in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. uh, we might have to revisit that. But what part of our remit is to embed the families in universal services. You know, we've got so many fantastic children's centres in this borough that aren't necessarily accessible by the most vulnerable for a variety of reasons so one of the beautiful things about the orbit is we get them into the children's center they can meet family support teams and then we can kind of embed them in the more general universal services so some of our mums will keep coming back but most of them will start to get involved in some of the other activities at the children's center that aren't so specialist obviously one of the things that everybody is contending with currently is the global pandemic or just obviously they're very vulnerable families that you're working with just wondering how particularly they're being impacted by COVID-19. I mean I think it's a massive impact because uh, obviously all the group the therapeutic group programs and the stay in play had to close so the isolation's increased a lot for these families and when there's difficulties anyway it's like feels like a pressure cooker Mm -hmm. building up um for some of them and then um and also a lot of the sort of monitoring can't really happen and a lot of clients talk about how that can help them fight cravings you know knowing that there's going to be a drug test the next day or knowing that there's going to be contact with services it can really help but i think more than that in terms of sort of mental health isolation is quite dangerous for um Mm -hmm. a lot of these um families that were isolated anyway or not as connected in the community as maybe they would like so how are how are you doing your work then with uh, mums i mean it's just had to change massively to the phone and to zoom or you know various sort of apps like that a lot of our families don't have internet or smartphones though so mainly phone contact but it's just not the same you know, normally at the orbit, we offer the group and the one-to-ones. And now there is no group. And groups are so powerful for um, people in recovery from substance misuse. It's such a big part of recovery is kind of forming attachments in groups and um, working with people in, in understanding other people's journeys as well as your own and the similarities and the differences. So a lot of that work just... Um, can't happen some groups have been moved online to zoom sessions and some of the more stable families are able to engage in those but again you know you lose so much of the nonverbal communication the nuance is lost the the feelings in the room you know it's so different and so hard and to try and read what's going on in a group through zoom mm. um, it's just not the same it's not so you know i think there's, we've got some really skilled practitioners but it isn't the same and it can't be. But we're making the best of it. And there's been some good sessions. You know, a lot of our clients, we don't have that option. So we're maintaining phone contact, So, which is um, me and some of the other practitioners are all finding absolutely exhausting. Because what would take an hour and a half in a group with eight clients is now eight separate 40-minute phone calls in which you're trying to help someone manage in increasing anxiety, which is exhausting and hard. And there's a lot of a repetition as well. Um, can't stick to any sort of structured group program or key work structure in the same way because sometimes the, the families have got immediate problems. I mean, there's a lot of practical issues getting in the way that we're having to support with. For an example would be, you know, 
you phone a family to have a discussion. You know, you've planned a key work on the ABCs of recovery. You're going to do this bit of CBT work with them. And they haven't received their universal credit payment. And they don't know when they're going to they're going to receive it because they can't get through on the phone. The system's crashed. You know, we had some really difficult situations. Yeah, there's just so much going on. It's almost impossible to stay on point and discuss the substance issues because it's just not realistic. So people's um, basic needs are sort of inevitably having to take kind of priority. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've done for the first time ever, we've done two sort of parcels where we we sent the second one out yesterday with just real basics in there from non-perishable food, baby formula, nappies, white toiletries as people's basic needs are, aren't being met. It's amazing what the food banks are doing, the Trust of Trust and some of the other, like the Shoreditch Trust, some of the other charities in the mm-hmm. borough or the surrounding boroughs are doing a lot to help. But even those, you know, we have really vulnerable women with anxiety disorders that are pregnant and have a toddler and they can't get to a shop. And if they do get to a shop, people are, why have you bought your children? And all of that. And then the prices of food are up. So even those that did receive universal credit payments when they were meant to, they don't go so far. So there's a lot, a lot missing. And the ability to keep the child in mind, I think, for a lot of those parents has kind of decreased, particularly in the first couple of weeks. And we had to do a lot of work of kind of helping them calm themselves and think about the child. So it sounds like your role has changed enormously in terms of in, in terms of what you're doing with families. How about people's ability to you know there's there's substance use how is that being impacted would you say yeah it's interesting isn't it because it, it I, obviously i can only speak anecdotally we haven't got any sort of stats around it but it you know there has but it does appear to have been a significant amount of sort of relapsing or increasing use and i think a lot of that is related to sort of isolation and increased anxiety throughout the whole of society just about the pandemic um, it's not entirely true across the board that everybody's relapsed, um, but there's been a significant amount. But I do think having worked in substance misuse for like 10 years now, there are certain times of year where it seems, again, this is anecdotal, but the beginning of the summer and Christmas have always difficult times in substance misuse services. Um, so it's hard to comment on at the moment. But I think when people have lapsed, it's been incredibly, been more messy maybe than it could have been because it hasn't been picked up it's as quick as it might have done, hasn't been challenged. And do you, do, you, do you see things, you know, in terms of the way you're delivering services and the way you're working with other agencies, do you see things kind of settling down that you've found a new way to work together in this sort of remote way? Or I think we have. It took us a while of sort of frantic, what we're going to do, how we're doing. I think there has been some positives in the sense that we're now... Um, so an example would be we've now got a pregnancy and perinatal fortnightly Zoom meeting with um, the local hospital, a local uh, the psychiatrist and community and mental health and drug and alcohol services. So I think that's a positive of services having to work closer together and being imaginative about that. Just like to introduce you to to, to Ellie. This is this Rosie Flexer. Yeah. Ellie's just been talking about her her role and um, working with parents during the lockdown and and how that's impacted. Maybe you'd just like to to come in and and tell us what you the work that you've been in been doing in South London, Rosie, and, and that group that you were involved in. We we had a whole we we were very lucky to have a service user involvement hub which was completely run by service users giving advice and support to their peers which is 
quite unusual in this day and age because um, those sort of things are getting cut all the time. And it was a very di direct access. And we started a women's afternoon and we asked the women sort of really what they wanted to do with the time and the space. And 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 they, they were very much interested in learning about things that they were a bit not, you know, not too sure about, like things like they wanted to know about things like menstrual cycles when you're using drugs, you know, pregnancy uh, and and um, and um, menopause as well was a big one that people were bringing up. They also wanted to talk about coping with children when you've been a user and sometimes your children have been taken into care and sometimes you've been reunited with your children and actually that's quite difficult as well although you know that's your goal and your aim and that's what you're working towards when it happens the reality is quite difficult sometimes because there's a lot of guilt and the kids pick you know are quite good at sometimes manipulating some of that as well and and how difficult that is so they wanted a lot of advice on how to cope with their children as users as they've been drug users and 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 the impact that has on you know that sometimes they overcompensate the guilt with in the wrong ways and and they wanted to you know and and also feeling that they can't sometimes be as um, disciplined and assertive because that's sometimes undermined if you know what I mean so there was a lot of that sort of stuff that they wanted really and so we were very much led by what they wanted and got speakers in to talk to them about the various areas that they were interested in and we were doing it but unfortunately with the lockdown our centre our service user involvement peer-led centre um, had to be closed because we couldn't have that direct contact. Any impression on how the lockdown is impacting on, on you know, some of those service users? Well, I know, um, you know, I have kept in touch with them and they're telling me that there's sort of, um, uh, there's, there's problems around, um, I mean, using service, drug using service users, the women are telling me that, you know, there is a bit of an expectation that they go out and do a lot more because they're not so likely to get stopped. Um, in other words, scoring and things like that. Um, there's there's no, not a lot of, obviously the sex workers aren't able to work, um, and which means, you know, there's more begging apparently. Uh, more, more, and they're not able to shoplift quite so easily because the shops are sort of, you know, there isn't the crowded shops to shoplift anymore. And so there's a lot more begging as a result. Um, so this is what I'm hearing. So, yeah, I think it's impacting badly, you know. Mm -mm. I mean, I suppose some of the things from my radical point of view that are better for our drug, our drug and alcohol users is that they haven't got this punitive attitude towards um, supervised consumption anymore because they can't. Uh, urine testing and breathalyzing, which to me I think is good, is a good thing because I think that was over. I think that, I think our drug services were far too risk averse. But um, you know that's obviously my opinion, <laughs> and so I'm I'm pleased to see that they're trusting. Well, not they're being forced to trust drug users more. You know. Um, without supervised consumption. And it'd be interesting to see if that has an impact on drug-related deaths and, you know. No, that's great. And you were saying that the, when we talked before, that your, the mums group, the afternoon that you did that, in a way came out of some research that you did, is that right? Yeah, well, no, I did research years ago on, on a mother, on women accessing services um, with a number of other people. And it's sad really, because, you know, 10 years ago, we were saying the same things we're saying now. And nothing's changed really, you know, social services uh, still, we don't know where they stand ever. We can't 
it, it's very changeable and and it's very dependent on what social worker you get you know uh you can get a social worker that works really well with you or you can get a social worker that you know believes in the, smoking a bit of cannabis your children should be in care you know and and there's no uh, so there's you can never we've tried so hard to to work with social services and i've found that quite difficult and i find it quite difficult that we haven't actually done anything about any of the things we've recommended year after year after year after year. Nothing's changed. <laughs> and people are still saying the same things uh, as they were 10, 15 years ago. Do you want to come in at all from the, your perspective? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, Rosie, saying that I can kind of really relate to, actually. It can be really difficult working um, with families and so much, and women particularly, and so much for so long. I mean, when was the first Hidden Harm report? 2003. 2003. Oh, yeah, because it was updated ten years, after 10 years, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, absolutely really ridiculous. And I think, um, in some senses, I feel really lucky because part of my remit is to kind of try and increase understanding within and work with children's social care and with a variety of successes in kind of because adult services have to work with children's social care to best safeguard those families but the, the way that that relationship works isn't always yeah. so effective as it could be yeah and i think also services aren't set up to work with women there's you no, know there's always, there was always a great you know when we did this research i remember the women saying we don't want to bring our five-year-old into a waiting room where there's posters talking about needles and syringes and drugs and they're reading it and and then they're asking us you know what does that mean mummy what does that mean mummy even if they're not aware of their own parents drug use they're aware of their environment they're in you know and, and there's never been sort of that many sort of women family centered uh, drug services you know very few sub drug services let women bring children in they're very averse to children being allowed into the premises which is unnatural because people haven't got nannies at home and you know <laughs> to look after the children while these while women need to go and you know seek some help and advice you know uh, and we haven't really adapted to any of that sort of stuff that was been recommended over the years as well. Um, I mean, it's those sort of recommendations that um, really got to me when I started working in the drug and alcohol service about 10 years ago. And that's why we set up the orbit really, um, to try and change that, because I wholeheartedly agree from where, you know, the service that we work with uh, is completely dominated by men. Women are, are not... Um, aren't accessing at the same rates and if you look at the stats there's, there's no shortage of women that could be accessing but they're not for some reason and, and parents just can't and I think that's one of the beauties of the orbit is that we have not only is it in a children's centre but we have crash workers there oh that's really good yeah so we can the parent can leave the child and go into the key work session and do they though yeah yeah oh they do okay that's, that must yeah. be some trust there must be some trust going on there because when I was working in Lambeth, we set up a creche uh, in one of the services and, and, and um, we had a creche worker so that women could leave their children there and go and have a counselling session or whatever. And um, but it was very little uptake because it, it there was this feeling that they didn't really trust what was going on with the child. I think you know that they I, I think they probably thought they were being cross-examined. You know what does your mother do at home and all that sort of stuff. Um, um, so they, so the, it was really underused when to the extent they closed it in the end, which I was really sad about because it took us ages to set that up. Yeah, the difference is with our one is first of all we're working with preschool aged children, so you wouldn't be questioning them. There was not that worry so much. Sure. But also that in initially the women come in to stay and play and play with the children and the crash workers together okay. so they develop their own relationship with the 
play workers um, before they're asked to come through for any sessions. So they'll yeah. do the groups first. And I think maybe sometimes we get that the wrong way around. You know, I don't know about you, but so many clients come into treatment saying, I'm not doing groups. Yeah. I'm not doing one-to-ones. I'm not doing groups. And kind of at the orbit, we put them in the group and then talk to them about the one-to-ones later. We need to get to know them. And so you don't kind of hit that barrier. Drug and alcohol services are not built for families and they're certainly not built for women. And it's been how many years of recommendations that we do systemic work with substance misuse and look, you know, it is just ridiculous. And if you think about it, just in terms of kind of intergenerational trauma, you know, the most important job in the world, and we're not supporting mums. I know. Or parents, I should say. I mean, sadly, parent is dominated by the mums. Yeah. I, you know, I like to think that that will change one day. Yeah, and it feeds a bit into that sort of, you know, feeling mums already have about feeling guilty and, you know, and, you know, shame them a bit more. Parapet, you know, and all that stuff, cause, you know, and it just feeds into it in a way because there isn't anywhere for them to feel relaxed and go and do that, you know. No, there's really, there's not a lot, and it's really sad, I think. But there's definitely a need for specific services for um, women and families, not these generic big drug services. That... Yeah. And for, and, and for, you know, school age kids and, and, and also, you know, more, um, you know, we need sort of what I mean, ideally in a real in, in a utopia world, we sort of need some sort of family centre where the, you know, older kids, kids, you know, even up to teenage, you know, where they're still having angst about their parents' drug use. Yeah. Can go and get support and you know and we have a whole it's a whole family sort of thing you know have, you, have you heard of that impact program oh, it involves a lot of art where the children drawing what addiction means to them and then yeah yeah, yeah th- those sort of programs have been around for years but they're not yeah. being delivered they're not being commissioned the public health are commissioning services that just about meet the very basic needs of service users yeah. And only the, you know, the ones exactly. the quick wins rather than the more complex long term. And ones that are out there in, in, in the public eye that, that are causing issues for Joe Public. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, sort of, you know, the clean up the streets sort of attitude rather yeah. than uh, people that are behind closed doors doing it quietly at home and, and having a terrible impact on their lives and everybody else around them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to get you together. Thanks so oh. much, both oh. of you. Oh. Fantastic. Uh, thanks, Polly and Rosie and Ellie for a great conversation. And I'd also like to thank uh, Dr. Um, Jan Flaherty, who was in charge of editing this episode. What a you know, fantastic piece of work. Um, so more content to come. And thanks again for listening to Relations Radio. Mm-hmm.